Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Hallo Roshin. Hallo Godwin. We are here together at the Phoenix Workshop in Oxford. And um, I was helping you to put up your poster, with, which has the name Balanced Norm and Mesh Generation for Singularly Perturbed Reaction Diffusion Problems. And um, after putting up your poster with you, I was kind of thinking I would be interested to talk to you about um, your work on this type of things. And um, I was lucky that you agreed to do so. So you took the time um, here with the program, which is also very, very interesting, to take the time to talk with me, which is very nice. Thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. So what's um, your work about? Maybe we just start somewhere in all these norms and meshes and perturbed things for interesting problems. <laughs> Um, the idea of it is it's to do with um, modelling uh, water flow. And water flow has um, com well, one of the basic, simplest ways of describing it is a reaction diffusion equation, which is singly perturbed. And that means that on the diffusion term, there's a parameter, we call it epsilon, and it can be very small. But if we actually set it to zero, with the boundary conditions that we have, our problem is ill-posed. It can't be solved. So it ends up that your solution to your problem has boundary layers. So it, the solution changes rapidly near your boundaries. And it can also have an interior layer as well, depending on um, just on the functions you're using. So the idea we had was to come up with a, a mesh, to generate a mesh using uh, a posteriori, in the sense, not using the information got from solving it initially on a uniform mesh, finding where the largest errors are and using those errors to move your mesh around because we find that um, using H refinement or increasing the number of mesh points isn't uh, efficient because we need um, the number of uh, the intervals to be of the order of epsilon in, your, in the, the layers. So Our thought came up with um, to, since our, say, our weak form of our equation is um, epsilon squared grad u by grad v plus um, v times u by v equals f by v dx, there is an energy norm, which is a very similar form, which is epsilon, the integral, the square root of the integral of epsilon squared u prime squared plus u squared. And... That sounds like a good idea, but there's a problem with that norm. Whenever epsilon gets small, oh. it tends to zero. So it's, it's not a, a stable or a, a, it's a weak norm. So we found that, uh, going back into literature, that uh, there was another way of doing it, which was to reduce the epsilon square term to an epsilon. And that's called, but was given the name of balance norm. And in the form for this, it, we've discovered that if we just apply it to a pure boundary layer problem like epsilon, uh, the exponential of minus x over epsilon, that the norm is consistent and it settles down at a fixed figure. So you, it's, it's, um, 
it's a good norm to use to measure it. So what we tried to do was, or what we did do, was generate a mesh using a monitor function. And our monitor function was 1 plus 1 over alpha by the norm squared. And we ran this for both the balance norm and the energy norm. And we found the energy norm didn't resolve the layer. It wasn't a, a, a very good mesh, whereas the balance norm did resolve the layer. And it put all the extra points at the places where the, the of rapid change in your function. So that's what we had been working on. And now the, there's an alpha term in there, and the alpha is what we call an intensity parameter. And our next job now is to sort out alpha to maximise the generation of the mesh to ensure that we don't have um, mesh starvation at where, where the, the solution isn't changing rapidly, so we still have enough points in that area. And also that we um, um, are minimising our error overall and that we end up with uh, say, intervals of order epsilon in our mayor lesh our layer region, and yet we are not ending up with our starvation on the other area. Mm. So what is the general domain which you want to resolve with your mesh? At the moment, we're just using um, a one-dimensional domain to start with. And once we get that working properly, the idea then would be to extend it to a two-dimensional domain. Mm. And then uh, what is the meaning of this um, boundary layer term epsilon if you just have a one-dimensional Thing, or is the one-dimensional already the reduced one with the help of the epsilon? Um, we just you start off with one dimension just simply because it's much easier to yeah, make sure that mm -hmm. everything works properly. Yeah. But the whole idea of it is like it's like um, if you have, um, have water flowing through a channel, the water doesn't move at the boundary because boundary is stationary, and, and immediately inside the water is moving quickly. So the idea of your boundary layer is to find out what's happening in that region. Yeah, that's kind of a standard um, approach which the engineers uh, took before they had the computers available to kind of think of having this boundary layer where you have to kind of look more closely. Mm -hmm. So the most work was done there. And in between, kind of most of the domain was just something what they call potential flow. Yes. So just following the Laplacian. And um, so in the mathematics community, this also turns up from time to time if you have... Um, either complicated material behavior or you want to resolve a complicated geometry and that you have these parameters with a small epsilon. Mm -hmm. um, so which compared, if you have like a channel, yes. of course, the flow direction is kind of the long max, also macroscopic um, direction. And then near to the boundary, you want to resolve it really only on a slim layer. Yes. So this direction is considered to be at least one order less or even two orders less. And then, of course, it's kind of a difficult task on the mathematical as well as on the numerical level to kind of make a marriage between both processes, which are the same process. You just distinguish um, two parts of it. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to do is um, to come up with a method that's going to balance it correctly across the whole domain mm. and uh, then to... Um, use data simulation techniques to actually bring in real, real live data that is recorded currently in Galway and see if we can marry the two together using data simulation and see. Yeah. It's kind of interesting for me that you really have this experience with the different norms. 
because um, when you learn about norms uh, studying mathematics, they kind of have sent. Kind of you uh, never ask yourself if it's the right norm, even if there are already points where you uh, learn about different norms and you see that, for example, if you have like um, uh, this, the same distance from a certain point, mm -hmm. in the usual way it's like a circle. And if you take a maximum norm, the circle becomes a square. And then you immediately see that it's not always the same or whatever norm you're taking. Yes. And um, in this respect, if the order of epsilon, epsilon even changes, then uh, you really have to be very careful what the norm tells you. Mm -hmm. And uh, from your explanation, uh, I was kind of surprised that um, taking just um, epsilon with the one in the power, not with two, which would be kind of the expected thing from the model, yes. is the right model for for resolving the boundary layer correctly. Well, I found like when I did apply it to um, the the exponential of minus x over epsilon, that mm. you work it all out and you just see it and you suddenly see, oh yeah, this makes sense. There's a reason this works. You can see it, make why it works because the, your layers any in what I'm at have the same sort of dimension as the as the, the exponential of minus x over epsilon. Yeah, this x over epsilon comes from um, making this boundary layer. Uh, so yes. in order to have the variables of a good size, you divide by the small parameter. Mm -hmm. And then you always work with kind of the x over epsilon. And so this is the quantity which you have to um, look at. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, for persons who are not doing that themselves. Yes. Um, The thing is that, of course, um, in characterizing the norm with the epsilon squared as being an energy norm, you would really believe that energy is the thing you really have to have a look at, yes. But it's not. Yeah. <laughs> It turned out not to be, yeah, yeah. but uh, in a way. Also, sometimes uh, what is called energy norm doesn't really cover the energy which is really at work. It no. just comes from the equation. Yes. And you have the, the feeling that um, what's happening in the equation really uh, speaks for the energy in the process. But if you have to look, look closely to the boundary, the process might be a really a different one mm -hmm. from, from the one which is characterized in the rest of the domain. Um, um, maybe just um, <laughs> kind of a formal question. Um, how long did you work uh, on that problem? <laughs> About four weeks. <laughs> after we submitted the abstract to Phoenix. <laughs> okay, yeah, this was kind of... <laughs> no, no, this is... Um, the thing is... Um, uh, this is, of course, only half of the truth because in order to do this, writing the abstract already, you have to be in the topic and it takes you a time to come into the topic And then under the pressure to finish something very fast mm -hmm. also has the assumption that you, of course, know what you're doing, only that now you're kind of focusing on finishing this one thing. Yes. Yeah, so. No, I spent a lot of time before that on norms and just generally understanding where they came from and how they worked for, we'll say, reaction diffusion equations and convection diffusion equations mm. and on different meshes. Yeah. Sort of. So what's the main difference between reaction diffusion and um, the other one? Um, well, in the, the behavior, uh, so in the study? It is the, the your boundary layer is of a different thickness. Okay, yeah. But and uh, th because your convection diffusion equation isn't um, symmetrical, whenever the weak form isn't symmetrical, 
it behaves differently whenever you solve it numerically. The reaction diffusion is easier to solve numerically okay. and it's more stable. Yeah. But kind of the convection process is one of the important ones which we mm -hmm. always have in uh, fluid problems. So at least when the fluid um, is fast enough. So if it's really slow, it's not that important, but um, already very um, soon, kind of with moderate um, velocities, we will have to take into account the convection and then it's nonlinear and uh, really gets complicated. And of course, then the influence on the boundary is kind of a different one. So if you are telling me this, I see I could have come up with this explanation myself. If you think what water does, how water behaves, then it's, it, it's, it makes sense what you're doing. Yeah, that's good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you kind of come up with a mathematical explanation, mm -hmm. um, which um, tells you that it's not completely stupid, or it's the result of your... Um, of the proving theorems. Um, so and you also uh, implemented that numerically? Yes. With the help of Phoenix? Yes, I used Phoenix. Uh, yeah. Generated the mesh, um, the change in the mesh in Python and, and used Phoenix to calculate the, the norms at each step and then used that information to generate the mesh at the next step until you got to the criteria where the... Um, the value of your monitor function on any on all individual intervals was less less than 1.1 1.01 of the average over the whole domain so that your mesh is equi relatively equally distributed at that stage or your monitor function is equal mm. so you just used phoenix in order to solve the partial differential equation after you had uh, the mesh with different methods yeah and um You know, it worked out the well. The norm is it's an error managed, an error measured in the balance norm, comparing your solution with um, on a linear elements and on quadratic elements. So we compare them at each step. So you're solving twice in Phoenix at each step. Mm. So linear elements means that the um, um, underlying model on the numerical side uses linear polynomials yes. and quadratic means that you are using quadratic polynomials to approximate and the theory says that uh, the higher the order of the polynomials the better is the approximation property of course the higher is also um, um, what you need to calculate yes. so that's why we always try to use um, like linear or quadratic and not more yeah um, This is um, an ongoing um, research in, in your group? Well, there is there's no real group in Galway. Um, there is one lecturer that specializes in numerical analysis and we have two students. His other student is working in finite difference and I'm working in finite elements. So we very small, small group. A small group, but nevertheless, then um, by going here, you meet other persons doing Phoenix stuff, and then it uh, yeah. has some meaning also in a in a bigger context, which is, is a nice thing to see. Yeah, it's really nice being here. Yeah, and um, so maybe that's a good moment to speak about your university for a moment. So, what's what university is it, and what country? Um, I'm attending um, the National University of Ireland in Galway, which is in Ireland as well. And it's on the west coast of Ireland, sitting near the sea with beautiful, absolutely beautiful scenery. It has about 19,000 students, um, mainly undergrads, of course, and about 2,000 staff. And it has a nice maths department, it's a very friendly maths department. 
So um, with 19,000 students, the, probably there are also quite a few engineering students belonging. Yes, then. there's an engineer. Yeah, it covers all areas. There's arts, um, science, engineering. Yeah, of course, this is kind of... <laughs> oh, because... Yeah. <laughs> Considering the and history, uh, it's kind of funny. But nowadays, if this, the numbers of students are so high, it's either medicine, law or engineering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and since you're doing mathematics, I was kind of expecting that the engineering part should be present there. Um, the yeah, the engineering department and, and the science department are currently trying to mer are merging to become one department, sort of a STEM idea. So, But the maths department covers, looks after... The, education, the maths education of the engineering department. Mm -hmm. So did you get your mathematics degree also from Galway? Yes. So, and um, why did you choose um, to study mathematics? Um, when I left school, I became an accountant because I was told if you were good at maths, then you should be an accountant. And it's back in, before we say internet and other forms of um, information. So I just believed what I was told. So I was an accountant for a good few years. Then my daughter got sick and she was only attending school part-time. So I ended up at home with her and I started... She asked me would I teach her applied maths and I'd never learned applied maths before. So my husband, who's a civil engineer, said to me, oh yeah, no problem, you can learn it, you're able for it and I'll help you. But I ended up doing it myself with her. And I taught her applied maths and then she went to university and she was doing a degree in general science covering maths, applied maths, physics and chemistry. And she asked, when she came home at weekends, I'd ask her, what homework have you got this week? And I'd want to do it. So in the end, she said to me one day, she says, Mom, why don't you do it yourself? So I decided, OK, I'm going to do it myself because I just love all of this stuff. So I went back university four years ago and I did my undergrad in mathematics and I started a PhD then in September. <laughs> It's kind of an interesting story no, on, on several levels because um, the story that uh, you are told to, do, to learn something um, which helps you to earn your living kind mm -hmm. of this is what you become a teacher become accountant something like that especially to women still and then um, to be fascinated so much um, by mathematics um, to feel um, kind of the mag magnetic influence. <laughs> yeah, the pull was definitely there. <laughs> yeah. And um, being a student uh, of a different age range than the students um, who followed the course with you, was this um, easy or No, it, it was easy. There were, there were a number of other mature students but not so much in maths. And I found initially that the, the younger students treated me like I was a parent and didn't want anything to do with me. But by the end of the four years, I'd made a lot of friends with the younger students and they accepted me as one of them. And it was really nice. I enjoyed it. Um, so f um, when you are doing your PhD, uh, how long it, is it expected to take? Four years. Four years. And um, you started a year ago? I started in September. In September, no, not yet a year. So there is still some time, but at the moment it feels like very long time. It does, yes. <laughs> Many things to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you, you are teaching as well? Yes, I um, tutor a numerical analysis module and 
um, supervise, they have MATLAB labs as well, and I supervise labs for scientific computing, which is mainly C++ programming. Yeah. And so um, what's your experience? Do you like this type of work um, on the side of your scientific things? Yes, yes, yeah. I found the tutorials very strange initially because you're teaching other people, which I'd never done before, where lab supervision, you're dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis and it's much more feedback, much nicer. But when you're sort of standing in front of a room, you don't get the same feeling as to whether how much people understand. And that's why I prefer the labs doing this lab supervision than the actual tutor. Yeah, so if you're standing in front of the class, they just look at you. Yes. And then you have to somehow come up with, is this the look which says, I understand? Or is it just the look which kind of covers that they don't know what you're talking about? It's, it's quite difficult to know. With some, with some And then some students won't look up at all. They'll just continually look down. So you have no idea whether they're understanding it or not. Mm. So there is no regret in going back to university for you? No, absolutely none. <laughs> I'm loving every minute of it still. No, oh, this was kind of the feeling I had when we put up the poster that uh, there was some radiancy <laughs> about you with a lot of laughing and, and putting things out. And I was like, I should ask you for a conversation. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me.